0: Handy History Teaching Tips, blogs in a conversational style. Handy History Teaching Tips, a conversational podcast designed to help history teachers with tips, examples and ideas about history teaching. Sally Thorne, that's me, is a head of department and senior examiner. Helen Snelson was a head of department and now trains history teachers. Between us, we have more years classroom history teaching experience than we are going to admit here. Both of us regularly write resources and present at conferences. We are proudly history specific and practical in our approach. Our hope is that this podcast will become something of a problem page for history teachers. Think of Helen and I as your agony aunts. If you're wrestling with something particularly tricky and need some help, drop us an email at handyhistoryteachingtips at gmail.com or tweet us. I'm at Mrs. Thorne and Helen is at Snelson H. And we will see what we can cook up between us. This podcast is the third in a new series called Doing History Better, which aims to give practical tips for improving your history teaching in the wake of the 2020 Black Lives Matter protests.
1: And uh, the format of, of this podcast will be a bit different from our usual conversational style because Sally did the Historical Association Teacher Fellowship about teaching the transatlantic slave trade in 2018 and these fellowships which bring academics and teachers together to focus on Mm -hmm. recent research and scholarships to improve classroom history teaching are are quite well embedded now. The HA advertise them on their website and um, make the resources produced by fellowship participants freely available so you can look there for for what Sally's going to talk about and and so in this podcast I'm going to ask Sally some questions about her fellowship as it um, is so pertinent to the to the topic of this series so Sally um, my first question in is what were the
0: principles that underpinned this fellowship okay so um, these these working principles were put together by um, the, the people that were that kind of leading the fellowship, Robin Whitburn and Abdul Mohammed, who um, kind of formed justice to history. And um, so they put together kind of working principles that are about um, kind of the history and also about the pedagogy. Um, and the the aim of these principles was um, that these these should underpin kind of all all planning, all all teaching around transatlantic slavery and Britain. Um, and if you you can find these on the the HA website, if you have a look look at them, if you have a search on there or search them up as uh, as the kids would say. Um, so here are the and I'll just I'll just whizz through them really quickly. So the the idea the kind of historical idea um, behind it is first of all that um, studies on transatlantic slavery should consider race and kind of the emergence of racial language and thought. Um, so the the idea of whiteness and blackness and how that was um, that was constructed. During the um, the operations of transatlantic slavery. Um, also, the second one is about Africa and Africans um, and the the recognition that African culture and civilization um, existed both before and after transatlantic slavery and colonialism. That Africa, you know, they were, the nations of Africa, they were places and and individuals and groups before. Um, the Europeans were ever there um, and that's kind of really important and that kind of chimes in with what we were saying last time about making sure that you're looking at the right start and end points Um, so mass commercialization is is kind of really important here as well the the recognition that transatlantic slavery industrialized a trade you know it's a it's a very common thing for people to say well slavery did exist before the Europeans yes you know And if you read Bury the Chains, it says in there that slavery has existed as long as people have. But what transatlantic slavery does is is it commercialises that in a way that it never has been before. And it's really important that you put that into your study. Um, The fourth principle is about terror and violence and recognising that violence is absolutely central to the system of transatlantic slavery and that you you can't really um, shy away from this. But it, but it needs to be carefully considered about how you, you kind of put it into your study and also recognising that this was also a gendered experience um, and that, you know, the oppression experienced by women is is different and in, in very unique ways. Um, the fifth principle is about resistance, is about making sure that you kind of are able to make it clear that enslaved people resisted their enslavement all the, all the time, all the way through, um, and from the moment of capture on the ships and, and on the plantations as well. So kind of recognising that um, within your study. Then the sixth principle is abolition um, and placing that in the context of of changes in Britain. And so as well as looking at the kind of key figures, the the kind of traditional interpretation of, of Wilberforce and those key figures, also looking at the role of the British public, of women, uh, African abolitionists, um, and the the kind of resistance of the enslaved. And then the the seventh and last kind of history principle is about legacies. It's really really important that if you're um, studying transatlantic slavery, when you're sorry, when you're teaching it, that you don't just end with abolition. That you recognise that actually slavery has a legacy that goes on after that um in in britain and the caribbean and africa you know that it has ripples that continue even out to today so those are the seven principles um about the the topic itself and then that goes with kind of pedagogical principles as well. But I will, um, I'll leave you to look those up um, for yourself so you can kind of read about those in a bit more de- detail. And um, they kind of relate to historiography um, and making sure that there's good representation um, of kind of many different um, ideas and points of many different voices within your study.
1: Gosh, and I'm struck by um, hearing those that what they allow if you follow those principles is is human dignity to shine through again as we mm. were talking about in our last last podcast so can you summarize the key learning for us as well for
0: for, for passing on some of those so those riches further yeah so what i would say like it was it was an incredible fellowship to be part of and it was it like I learned so much, just even from the the people that were leading it, as well as the people that I was working alongside, like I met some amazing people, the work that that we've produced as a community, and I really speak for everybody else as much (laughs) as anybody that they, you know, they've just done some incredible work. But the the really key things that I took away, the things that have stayed with me, there are about five things. So the first one is about use of language, it's about the the language that you use when you're teaching this. So just the simple um, trick of instead of referring to um the the kind of victims of this as, as slaves referring them to them as enslaved people or enslaved africans and um, so making sure that you're kind of putting as you said the dignity back in there this person is not a slave i mean they they are enslaved they're not a slave that's not who they are um, it's something that's happened to them okay um and then the other side of that i had a um a good conversation with katie donington who um works at goldsmiths i think or oh, it might be south bank i think it's south bank uh, so she was also one of the one of the fellowship leads as well and um she talked about rather than talking about the transatlantic slave trade talking about transatlantic slavery in britain because it makes the point that it's not just about the trade itself it's not just about the transportation the trafficking of of human beings it's also about the mass commercialization the industry that is built on top of that the insurance companies the shipbuilders, the the people that take that money and invest it in the you know public buildings and public works um that you know so therefore if you're referring to it as slavery that's a, a, a kind of better term so and and that kind of leads into my second um big learning point which is the wider ripples you know when you you kind of you pull at that thread and you think about how far that the money and the the commerce spread as a result of that you see how much it touches on um in in, within British history since that happened and you just think it's just impossible to unpick it and how how have I never really noticed this before um it, it becomes something that you just then can't unsee it's like a a threshold concept um so the third thing which i thought was really interesting was about this kind of triangle trade myth so you know triangle trade is is something that, that i'm sure if you've ever taught transatlantic slavery you have definitely referred to you might have done a nice diagram on the board your little ship sailing from here to here to here and here and that's actually not quite true because the ships that were used to transport um, enslaved people were not the same, were not not good as ships for transporting goods as well, because they would need to be cleaned out, they would need to be fitted out slightly differently. So it's not, although I'm sure that that did happen, it's not necessarily always the case that it's that same boat going round on all three legs each time, um, and that you kind of need to recognise that there are more journeys, um, for example, from the Caribbean to Britain and back than there are from Africa to the Caribbean. I think I've I think I've got that right I might have to go back and look at my notes but um so the fourth one is this this whole idea about Africa as a European construction so um you know this notion of Africa and I if you ever seen the Book of Mormon um there's a song in there called I am Africa that I, I think kind of sums it up for me really um it just kind of uh, you know the notion of Africa as being this kind of dark backwards place you know it's just not it's just that's a construction that's come about as a result of of the transatlantic trade and actually it you know is a richly diverse place you wouldn't necessarily refer to people from britain as europeans because i think a lot of people would be really offended by that so and yet there are plenty of people out there that refer to anybody that comes from that continent as african um, and just trying to think more carefully about how to talk about those things and then finally um when we were looking at legacies i went away and did quite a lot of reading about the post-slavery era in jamaica which is just fascinating if depressing history um and that has certainly kind of sparked a little fire in me that i want to go away and learn more about that and teach more about that and kind of post-colonial jamaica and um, well or you know, post-abolition Jamaica and how that's how that's changed. So yeah, there's masses and masses of learning, but those are the five key points for me that have stayed with me.
1: That is, in, in, thank you for sharing that. It's just incredibly rich. Um, so my my next question would be, how then has have you taken that that substantive knowledge, that that historical learning for yourself, and how has it
0: shaped your curricular approach at Key Stage three since you did this? Well, I decided that. Um, you know in order to to kind of do do justice to all the principles and fit in everything that i wanted to do that we would make this a three-step process so it it features in three different inquiries um within my curriculum so in year seven we look at um at kind of and i'm constantly kicking this inquiry question around i just can't quite get it right but it's it's kind of looking at the let's listening to all the voices of of, um transatlantic slavery so um kind of making sure that my my traditional year seven unit which um is you know just kind of the the mechanics of slavery like how this how the triangle worked and what life was like on plantations and so on instead of doing that kind of quite traditional approach looking at individuals so what what british people were involved in in transatlantic slavery you know um what about African people? What about women? And, and trying to find individual stories um, that can can then um, be part of that unit. And actually, the, the Redica book, A Slave Ship, has been incredibly helpful for that. It's got really nice little chunks of information that are quite easily used in a year seven lesson. So that's in year seven, and then in year eight we look at abolition, but we look at that against the background of the French Revolution, which allows me to bring in kind of Haiti and the Haitian Revolution, and um, uh, we so we compare it with the French Revolution and other British political protests to kind of look at how people are, are kind of kicking back against authority, if you like, at this in this time period. So you make sure that then also there are other slave rebellions within there. Um, I think the the Baptist war, you know, that leads to the to the final abolition is part of that as well. And then in year nine, this has been the most difficult one to get right is looking at the legacies. And I um, what I've the way that I've done that now is to um, take our old democracy through time unit and kind of beef up the 20th century section of that. So um, I had a really, really interesting conversation with Hannah Cusworth. Um, during lockdown, about the civil rights movement in a, in Britain and whether whether that existed, um, and whether that could, whether you can make a comparison between Britain and America, um, because you know, arguably, um, people of colour in in Britain always had civil rights. They always had the right to vote as long as anybody as long as anybody's had the right to vote. So therefore, the struggle is more to do with equality. Um, so it's yeah so that so my legacies unit in year nine is really thinking about how black people in in britain um kind of have managed to find their place in society and have managed to make democracy work for them in this country to some extent um to create a fairer condition for them to live in so that's my model
1: <laughs> mm, Wow. Well, i'm really struck by the the way that you've placed it across year seven year eight year nine as well so that you you revisit and and rebuild and spiral up that 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 knowledge across across key stage three um, and what what other ways then do you think it can also be
0: included um, well the other things that we've done is we you know we've made sure that we've um put a, a unit in um year seven about african kingdoms and actually we try to look at that from a few different points of view so we look at um islamic empires but we also look at african empires as well um, it's also thinking about so the the look at um, rebellions of enslaved people um, kind of inspired me then to think about my British Empire unit and to look at how people rebelled against the British Empire as opposed to um, just kind of you know British Empire good or bad you know or, or any of those kind of old um, ways of looking at, at imperialism so just again trying taking that idea of representation um, and riffing off that a little bit to, to kind of change my empire unit um yeah i, I think the, the possibilities are endless it feels like the possibilities are endless but i yeah that's where i am at the moment
1: so you've made the um, curriculum more representative by doing that as well and i guess it's a model that you can you can build on from there too but um, what what are the common pitfalls then that, that people need to avoid when teaching um
0: the transatlantic slave trade um, so I would say firstly, just avoid too much focus on the enslaved as victims. You know, there's lots of statistics out there about how they rebelled constantly um you know, from capture, something like ten percent of all slave voyages apparently had um they had a rebellion on that that you know they had this kind of small scale rebellion. Um, small scale resist I should use the word resistance, shouldn't I? <laughs> rather the rebellion, but small scale resistance on the plantations that might have been, you know, just refusing to answer to a name that they'd been given, but also kind of celebrating their culture as well. So keeping their culture alive on the plantation, even, even though they, they were not supposed to be doing that. So um, you know, there's plenty out there um, in order to frame your question and frame your lessons around the enslaved as as something other than just victims. Um, the second thing that I, I really feel that should be avoided is is any kind of empathy activity. I just I just sorry. But no, I can't. I really don't don't feel it's defensible. I just you know, you, you still see quite a lot of activities that are about writing a diary basis. If you were an enslaved person, um, you, you know, like a, a diary of my journey on the middle passage or and uh, you know we've been having these conversations for a really long time Um, and I remember somebody saying once well could you write the diary from the ship's point of view it's not really a particularly historical (laughs) like a ship is not going to write a diary but I you know there are other ways that you can do sources there are other things that you can use for empathy activities I don't think it's appropriate to ask somebody to empathize and I don't think it's it's possible for a child to empathize with what uh what somebody went through when they were enslaved um and then the 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 third thing is just like there are many many sources out there many original sources um out there about transatlantic slavery um if you go and look for them so you you know i feel like sometimes there is an over-reliance on secondary materials such as roots although i think that's um kind of that's less less of a problem than it used to be but i would just make sure that you know if you're teaching this that you're looking at something that's kind of of the time rather than just somebody else's interpretation. You know, this is a fraught topic. People have taught it in a different way for a long time. So it's worth getting back to those original sources and seeing what you can do with them.
1: Mm. And in our last podcast, we we focused on standing back and taking a look at our curricular choices um, with with fresh eyes. Um, So what do you suggest is the best way to reflect
0: on this topic? Um, So what I would say is just... Think carefully about how you would justify your curricular methods to to kind of a variety of stakeholders. So, you know, it's it's very easy for us to stand in front of a class and do what we think is right. Not what we think is right. But I just I think it's a particularly bearing in mind how often various um, slavery resources make it into newspapers and that parents are, are so offended that they take it to the press. Like think about if you were if you were in front of a parent that was unhappy, would you be able to justify this? Would you be able to say this has real historical purpose? and This is my historical purpose. You know, they might they might, for example, have a very upset and I've had upset children. And it's easy to have that conversation when you've done the, the kind of heavy lifting of the thinking in the first place, because it's really easy for me to explain exactly the purpose of everything that I'm doing um you know can you do the same can you justify it to a parent can you justify it to your head could you justify it to the press if you needed to you know and and it's like nobody wants to teach as though somebody's looking over their shoulder all the time but you know when you're teaching something that's quite emotive and and quite a difficult history like this then I think it's really important to kind of do that that consideration before you start so yeah that's that was my kind of learning for the, but i've got to say you know that the learning continues and i'm still working on all of these things and i hope that i'm going to be able to present it um at a conference sometime in the future so you can come and see where i'm up to <laughs> wow fant- fantastic
1: thank you um sally it's absolutely fascinating to hear um more detail about this i knew you were buzzing with it after after mm. you just completed it so you know thank you for taking the time to to update us and i look forward to seeing you present um at a conference hopefully face to face one time in the future oh, as well would be, would be great but uh, thank you for that take care <laughs> okay take care bye